0: Welcome to Stacy on the Right, the podcast, brought to you by Family Vision Media. And guess who is joining us today? It is the founder and chief editor of the Libertarian Republic, former Republican Senate candidate in Missouri, and all around firebrand online, Austin Peterson. Thank you so much for coming on today. Hey,
1: thanks for having me, Stacey.
0: <laughs> okay, so I gotta tell you, um, we have this thing going on here in Missouri that we, we literally have Paul Kurtman, who no longer lives in Missouri, but is still heavily involved in Missouri politics. And he has something called the Defense of Liberty Dinner, which has gone from a small gathering of about 250 people to, like, I think he has a thousand people there now. He had Candace Owens in town to speak there last year. And this year, his speaker was slated to be Donald Trump Jr., and so they were using Chase Bank as their payment system, and I bought tickets for me and my husband, VIP tickets actually, so we could be down front. And then this story broke earlier this week. Tell us, tell us what happened.
1: Yeah, it was kind of you know incredible because you know I heard this news when I found out it was because our treasurer of the state of Missouri, Scott Fitzpatrick, had gone on Tucker Carlson to talk about how. He had taken action against Chase Bank for what they had done. Essentially, Paul Kurtman was using a payment processor app that was owned by Chase Bank, and when the uh, app found out that the featured speaker for the event was Donald Trump, they canceled his payment processing for the event, which essentially, you know, required him to shut down the event because he, you know, he could, he wasn't going to be able to pay any of his vendors. Uh, and they, the reasons that they claimed they cited was because he was they they don't promote organizations or groups that promote hate or terrorism. So essentially, they they were arguing or claiming that Donald Trump Jr. was is is a hate figure or a terrorist figure, which is pretty unbelievable. Uh, the treasurer of the state of Missouri, Scott Fitzpatrick, actually contacted Chase Bank and said that you know if they promote this kind of uh, an ideological action against the people of the state of Missouri, then the state of Missouri would no longer do business with Chase Bank. And you know then there's been a whole bunch of fallout since that. But I mean, you know we've talked about getting banned on social media. You know I've certainly, I mean I'm, I've got a ninety day ban on social media right now for a posting about Kyle Rittenhouse. But you know it's one thing to not be able to. Put, to tweet. It's another thing to not be able to do business and to lose access to payment processing. This is you know, everything that conservatives have been warning about and more.
0: So this is the big tech tyranny that we saw with Parler. This is the big tech tyranny that we saw with Kyle Rittenhouse when, uh, the, the GoFundMe canceled his, his, uh, fundraiser that, you know, trying to help his family pay for legal bills. Um, this is the double standard because Louis Farrakhan and, uh, Hamas and, and the Palestinian, uh, front and all kinds of other organizations that actually are terrorist groups or promote hate speech. Um, in other words, violate the terms of service, as they like to say so nebulously. Austin, these groups exist. They utilize the payment uh, platforms. They utilize the social media platforms, and they do so with impunity. The speaker for the Taliban actually has a Twitter account, and the president of the United States, Donald Trump, does not. We are seeing exactly what we predicted, which I actually, I'm sad about that. I don't. This is one of those I told you so's I, I hate to say, but we need our own systems for cases like this, because there should never be a time when an event as large as the one they're planning, and all of the it takes so much effort to create create an event for that of that size anywhere, um so now they've pushed it back it'll be later, I think February I believe is the reschedule, but it should never have happened. They shouldn't have that power over us.
1: I know, I completely agree, and you know what's interesting here is what Scott Fitzpatrick actually said when he was on Tucker was he goes, you know uh you know a, a business has has the right to be able to choose who they do business with he goes but a business doesn't have a right to do business with the state, and honestly, I feel like when it comes to like conservative principles, Stacey, because there's a lot of uh, disagreement in the conservative movement about how to handle big tech, whether it needs to be antitrust regulation that needs to come into play, and you know there's kind of a, a you know dissension between kind of like the new conservative movement of the right between like the kind of the old libertarian order of the right on what is the proper role of government in this instance. But the way that the treasurer of the state of Missouri handled this, I think is the sweet spot, the nexus of uh, conservatives and libertarians in the Republican Party, because the way he handled it was to say specifically that these businesses don't have a right to do business with the state of Missouri. And that's that's correct, uh, and believed amongst all sectors of the of the Republican party or the right wing movement, and so when Chase Bank realized. That they were not going to be able to do business with the state of Missouri specifically, that was enough of an incentive for them to change their business uh, to change their business practices and to allow that payment processing to go forward. Now, Paul Kirbin has since said that he's no longer going to do business with them. He's actually found a new payment processor. I think it was called uh, MyAlign, like A L I G N. Mm -hmm. which was specifically like is, you know, set up as a payment processor to fight against cancel culture. But honestly, the way that the the treasurer handled this by threatening to cut them off from doing business with the state of Missouri, that is the proper way to handle this thing. And I think it makes all factions of the Republican party happy. And that was the right way to go.
0: So Austin, I have to say, why do you think we don't have more actions like that? That, that action is a, it's like, Chase Bank smacked pretty hard, right? Largest bank in the country, I think. I didn't even realize they were the largest bank. They hit Paul Kurtman and the Defense of Liberty Dinner and that organization with a mega ton, like, you know, Age of Ultron type fist and they punched him right in the gut. And then the treasurer of the state of Missouri said, yeah, you may be the biggest bank, but this is the state of Missouri. And we, we have billions of dollars worth of business that we can put anywhere and, and it won't ever be with you, if you don't back off, that's what we need across this country. Because Missouri is not the only state that has a Republican treasurer or a Republican legislature. How can we encourage these people to stand up with that kind of backbone? It shouldn't be one treasurer saying that. It should be all of them. Every American has the right to do business in this country.
1: Yeah, I completely agree. And you know, we we really need to take the Missouri model for what happened here, and we need to. To outsource this to other states, Stacey, you are totally right. And I think you know by talking about it on your show, just like we're doing right now, call, you know, drawing more attention to it. That you know that's going to be the way to go. You know, this is the power that you you and I have. We have the bully pulpit and the microphone, and we can you know talk about this. But you know, frankly, we need to be getting in touch with our representatives and uh, our counterparts in other states. A- at the moment, what's what's going on right now is is you know Fitzpatrick, our treasurer, and Paul Kirbin are having this brief moment in the sun and they're going to get a little bit of attention from this. You know, he was on Tucker Carlson this week, you know, Fitzpatrick was, but we need to, you know, you know, consistently promote that this is the way to handle this, to, to, for state treasurers, to essentially threaten not to do business with banks if they do this. Or maybe, you know, I'm not sure what kind of business relationships social media agencies might have with state agencies. I'm sure they do. Uh, But, you know, threatening to cut off, you know, their access to power, I think it's probably again, it's it's not only is it legal and constitutional, but it's also philosophically consistent with conservative principles. So the more media and attention that we can get to this, and the more we can get Scott Fitzpatrick Patrick and Paul Kirtman out there and on the news, I think the better.
0: So this is, it, I, I'm, I'm with you a hundred percent. And what's so odd about this is that, yes, it's a huge story, but I don't feel like, like I, I think Paul Kirtman should be on Fox news on Tucker Carlson talking about this. This is it. it It's a huge story no matter what bank it is. If it was um, one of the local banks here, um, like Truman Trust or whatever that thing is, I, I sometimes drive by and I'm like, what? I've never even heard of that bank before. If it was a tiny bank like that, it would still matter to me. But that it's Chase. I mean, Austin, do you see their commercials? they present themselves as like the ultimate in banking experiences. It's like, do you drive a Land Rover or a Lexus or a Maybach? Then you should be banking with us. It's The whole attitude of it is, you know, only the thinnest, tallest, most beautiful people bank here. And when you walk in, that's what you look like as soon as you cross our threshold with your money. Just put it in here so you can be beautiful and smart and and look like the people in these commercials. They're not actually like that. That is some great marketing. If they're if they're telling people, they've already collected the money. This this is where I don't I really can't understand. They collected the money. They allowed the ticket sales to go through. They allowed the event to progress to a place where people are getting babysitters. People are, you know, we've blocked it off on our calendar. We've bragged, I got tickets, I'm up front. And then they shut it down. Like they just figured out that Donald Trump was speaking. Donald Trump Jr. was the headliner when I went to to book my ticket and I paid.
1: Yeah, well, you know what happened is that some, you know, pink haired leftist in Silicon Valley with her vegan latte and Side her head shaved, you know, saw it and spit out her latte on the screen and was like, we we can't allow this to go happen. So, of course, it was an after-the-fact thing that they found out. But, you know, Stacey, when you, you were saying earlier a little bit about, like, you know, why are things like this? Why are there isn't more attention being paid to things like this? I mean, you got to understand, Stacey, is that so many of the biggest problems that we have in this country, the, and and some of the challenges that we have to fight are boring, and that's by design. Like like for example, before we you know started this interview, you were talking a little bit about you know the Federal Reserve and our monetary policy and Bitcoin and cryptocurrency, and I was having this conversation last week on the Blaze where it was like we're talking about banking institutions that control our money supply. I mean, J.P. Morgan Chase, they, they they sit on the board of the governors of Federal Reserve. And one of the things that they don't teach you in school, they don't teach you where, where money is created or you know how our money supply works. And, you know, the Federal Reserve is one of the least transparent institutions of government, and it's a quasi-governmental institution. And when you talk to people about money, typically, Stacy, it's not sexy. Right? They, so, you know, some aspects of money can be sexy, but when it comes to where our money comes from, who controls our money? You know, and the people who sit and the institutions who sit on the, the board of governors of the Federal Reserve, you start having a conversation like that over the dinner table. And I mean, you don't need Turkey with a tryptophan to put people to sleep. You start talking about the Fed, Stacy. But those are the things the banks don't want us talking about that. The banks don't want it taught in schools. The banks you know Ch- Chase Bank doesn't want you to know that they're a member of the Board of Governors of the Federal Reserve along with the largest union in the United States, the AFL-CIO. What does a union have to do with banks? Why is a union part of controlling the money supply here in the United States? You start talking about it like that, then all of a sudden people might sit up and start taking notice. But, you know, Stacey, that's the thing, is that, you know, the sexy problems, the ones that we like to talk about a lot on the news, the cultural things, right? The you know, SJWs and stuff like that. Typically those are things, you know, those are the things that are the sexy topics that get talked about, but they don't necessarily impact your daily lives versus the dollar in your pocket. And Chase wants it that way. But I'm glad we're talking about it, Stacey, because more people need to pay attention.
0: And paying attention <laughs> is is boy, it's it's almost a trigger word. It's a trigger phrase now, Austin, because there's so much going on. There's so many issues that Americans are like, Well, first we had the pandemic and I thought that was basically gonna crush me. And then all of a sudden, now I realize what they're teaching my kid in their public school. Now I realize what's on the library shelves in the public library. Now now I'm, you know, dealing with these local issues where they're locking down businesses and locking down gyms and who knew they had this power. They don't, but who knew they would exercise this power and wield it and, and, t- and stopping it would take all of us to get together and, you know, slam their meetings and show up and, and protest. Who knew we had to do this much work? Well, the founders knew that. And a lot of us have been screaming about how everyone needs to get involved for years. And now that everyone finally is involved, it's kind of like whack-a-mole. So everyone's trying to, to and I, I'm, I'm telling people, Austin, pick the thing that you're most passionate about and then devote yourself to that one weekend a month or one one meeting a month. Uh, if you could do once a week, do once a week. How about just staying home and writing paper letters to these people and telling them how you're never gonna vote for them again if they pass X, Y, and Z. A paper letter has much more value than an email or a phone call. But if you can't do that, Send the emails and phone calls, gather 10 people together and y'all never meet. You never actually have to stop being at home uh, and add another meeting to your week, but you're going to once a week email a legislator and make a phone call about an issue, local or state or federal. I'm telling people to take the elephant one bite at a time instead of saying all of these things need my attention and I need to be involved with all of them. There are so many of us and so few elected officials, if we all devoted ourselves to one thing- We could actually manage these people, and I think a lot of us need to think about how much we care about banking, how much we care about the things you just described, the, the connection points there, and that should be one of our issues. That should be one where we just have a devoted team of people who are smart who just work on that, watching what they're doing, reading the regulations, reading the rules, and then emailing and calling and showing up at these meetings because these meetings are very poorly attended.
1: No, you're totally right, Stacy. I mean, you're 100% right. This is exactly the right way to go about this. Uh, you know, after the glenn youngkin victory in Virginia, uh and that was based largely around Terry McCallough's gaffe of saying that the, they didn't think that, you know, parents should be involved in their kids' education. Mm-hmm. And uh there was a one of the heads of the teachers unions was quoted as saying, "We used to think that we wanted to get parents more involved with their kids' education, and now we see that might be a mistake." because of all the parents showing up to the school board meetings, right? And then they realize, yeah, they don't want people to show up because all of a sudden then they won't be able to indoctrinate our kids as much as they have been. But, you know, uh, you know those, like you said, taking action, it, its to me, I think it, it's been a conservative weakness. And it's been going on for quite some time because we used to have a conservative movement that was very active in doing the sort of day-to-day yeoman's work of campaigning. And I don't know if any of your listeners are big fans of Phyllis Schlafly or if they remember who she is or what she did, but she did the yeoman's work of campaigning. I'm talking about petitions i'm talking about flyers i'm talking about getting in touch with representatives and showing how much support there is for legislation you know i've been to washington dc and you know been you know part of a group that was putting petitions on the desk of congresspeople and i'll tell you we moved legislation and very rarely would i see conservatives doing things like that i would see big lobbyists there plenty of lobbyists there in the halls of congress i would see plenty of democrats plenty of union representatives, plenty of of democratic institutions that were there trying to move legislation, but I very rarely saw conservatives walking the halls of congress putting legislative you know petitions and you know proposed legislative items on the desk of congress people because i felt like i feel like conservatives for quite some time have just you know hoped that they would vote for the right people get the right people elected and that those representatives would do all the work for them that's just not how it is you know you've got to show up you've got to you've got to get petitions on the desk of those congress people and just because you've got somebody elected that you think is a conservative doesn't mean they're going to do conservative things unless they think it's going to get them re- Re-elected, So you've got to get these politicians in a position where their back is to the wall, where they know they have to support limited government or conservative uh, policy positions because if they don't, they won't get reelected. And the, the signatures are on their desk showing them that their constituents support these policies. But you know what? Like I said, that's the boring work, Stacy. And, you know, everybody wants to be a YouTube star. Everybody wants to, you know, to go out there and own the libs. But, you know, that might make you money on YouTube. That might Get you Twitter followers, but it's not going to move policy. So, you know, follow the example of Phyllis Schlafly, right? Mm-hmm. A great, you know, she you know she is a great example of conservative activists who can move policy and block liberal, uh, progressive, you know, policies. You know, if we pay attention to what they do, it's it's not hard work. It's just not fun work. But if you care about your country and you want to leave something to posterity like the founders did for us, we've got to do it.
0: We've got to do it. But there's a new thing that just, it, it's its a recent phenomenon. It's a pandemic silver lining. And that is we have Austin now, the people who are now standing up, the people who are yelling at those school board meetings, the ones who are uh, at the library looking at all of these pornographic books, those individuals actually don't care anything about YouTube. They don't want to make a dollar there. They already have a full-time job. All they want is what they consider to be what was normal, what they thought they had before the pandemic, which you and I both know they didn't really have, but they want that back. And so even if they never had it, they're trying to get there, <laughs> wherever that lands. And they act, they're actually motivated. They they will show up at school board meetings. They will They will change the direction of an entire state the way they flipped Virginia. I actually said a few years ago, actually, this was right before the pandemic. I was lamenting the changes in Virginia because I'd been there to visit my family. And it was so radically different. I, it was like going to a place I didn't recognize. And I'm talking about Springfield, Virginia, which is you know, a short 15 minutes from uh, D.C. It's a heavily you know, government contract worker uh, you know, kind of uh, enclave. Lots of money there, two-income families, et cetera. And I just was at the Costco, and nobody there no, – I didn't hear English. Nobody who was shopping there spoke English. You know, I saw burkas, I saw all kinds of different things. And I'm not, I'm not xenophobic. I don't, I don't mind people coming here to America. But it's weird when you're in the Sam's, I'm sorry, Sam's Club. Yeah, Sam's Club. You're walking around and you're the only person in there who's speaking English. It was so odd. Now the checkers spoke English. But the the shoppers, it was like League of Nations in there, and we know that that is the hallmark of changes. Democrats bring in a bunch of foreigners, and then all of a sudden the state is a blue state. You're like, what happened to my state? So I said, I was like, this, this state will never be red again. Virginia is going to turn into like a you know East Coast California, and then you have what happened a couple of weeks ago. So if that can happen in Virginia, it can happen anywhere. So we we have a lot of hope, um, and I think. You know, the YouTube kind of I want to be famous, I want to be a conservative rock star thing. There'll always be people who want to do that. But in this moment, while we have everyone activated um, and we have great analysis and commentary such as what you're providing today and and others out there who are just they're telling the truth and not not for their own benefit, but because the truth needs to be told. It gives me a lot of hope for uh, our political situation and what we can accomplish.
1: Well, can I ask you a question, Stacey? Can I um, interview you for just a second? I'm honestly curious about your opinion on something. Sure. It, it, yeah, let me ask you. Like, so if that is true, if, you know, we're becoming more of a multicultural nation, Democrats are importing these people who don't speak English, you know, and don't represent our values, if that is, if that is happening right now, let's say that they're successful in doing that, what can the Republican Party do to try and get them to not vote? For Democrats, how can those those people who come to the United States and maybe don't speak our language and aren't integrated? How can we integrate those people? How can we present a Republican Party message that is attractive to those kinds of people? I'm curious.
0: Well, so the, the the good news is those people come here. What no matter what the Democrats say to them when they get here, those people come here because they like the America that we are. We're a capitalist country. We're pro-freedom, pro-individual liberty, and those people don't have that in the countries that they're coming from. But they have to be assimilated. And assimilation takes not just sponsorship, but communities coming around people who are new. And instead of just the Democrats visiting them 90 days before the election and saying, the Republican Party doesn't actually want you in America, so you got to vote for us or you won't be able to stay here, and then they vote for the Democrats, we have to knock those doors too and say, hey, we're from the Republican Party, and you know what we want? We want you to have this, the life here that you saw on Instagram that made you want to move here, the life you saw on television <laughs> or the life you heard about from your relatives that live here. We want to preserve that. The Democrats want you to think we don't want you here. What we want you here to do is to become an American and then tell them part of being an American is voting for things that support the Constitution because the country you came from didn't have one. You didn't have a Constitution, or you had one, but every 17 years or so, your government changes. In some countries, they have a total change of government and constitution every 10 years or so. We we Americans don't even realize how special it is that we've had the same constitution and the same form of government for over 200 years. The average regime change in a nation across the world is 17 years. So we go to them and we say that. Do you want this place to become the place you left? And they will say no then you need to understand what our party platform really is. You need to understand what we really believe. Don't listen to people who tell you that we hate you. We don't hate anybody, but we love this country, and we want you to become a part of this country, and becoming a part of America is supporting what it is, keeping it what it is. That's how we do it.
1: Yeah, I think you make a really good point there, Stacey, absolutely. And you kind of are are alluding to something that I was talking about recently with this idea of what are the institutions – of liberty, that we as conservatives or Republicans or libertarians, what are the institutions that we are creating or maintaining now that we want to preserve for our posterity, right? So when we think about what the Founding Fathers left for us, this constitutional system, you know, you're talking about a system of stability, right? A, a stable form of government that can, you know, <clears throat> secure the the blessings of of, you know, life, liberty, and happiness for our posterity. And one of the things that, you know, I've been asking people lately is what are these institutions of liberty, right? What are the institutions of liberty that we as, as conservatives will preserve for our posterity? The Constitution is definitely one of them, right? And that's why it's, it's important to protect and preserve that Constitution for our posterity. But there, there need to be other institutions because many of the institutions of government that we have right now are leftist institutions, Right, um, you know the Department of Transportation, Housing and Urban Development. Uh, you know, name anything that was created by the New Deal, and it's a leftist institution that serves leftist ideals. You know, anything created by LBJ's Great Society. You know, most of the go- the institutions of of government are not institutions of liberty. They're not instituted to preserve or protect our liberty. They're they're instituted to preserve and protect a you know a class of of government bureaucrats. Who you know can you know use and use that uh, system uh, their privilege to dole out entitlements to you know in, you know uh, to people and, and classes that they prefer, <clears throat> and then deny them to others. But what are the so the question remains is and I you know I don't have a great answer for this, Stacy, but I, I think it's an important question is you know what are the institutions of liberty that conservatives have that we either can you know, build now or maintain for the future. I mean, other than just the Constitution, what else do we have that is an institution of liberty that we will actually say, hey, for our future generations, for our children and into the, into the future, for our grandchildren – This is an institution that we create that will protect and preserve their liberty. And, you know, you talked about Bitcoin a little bit before we started this interview. I actually Uh think that that's an institution of liberty because it goes around the banking system and provides people the ability to engage in transactions without a bank, right? You don't need Chase's approval to do business if you use Bitcoin. But what are the other institutions? You know, Fox News, you know, The Blaze, Right. What are the conservative institutions of liberty? And, you know, maybe that's something we need to be thinking about and talking about. You know, what are we leaving for our posterity, you know, in much the same way the founding fathers left us the Constitution? I'm not exactly sure, you know.
0: (laughs) You know, that sounds like a really good roundtable discussion. What are the did you say? Institutions of liberty. Institutions of liberty. What are the institutions of liberty? Hmm. That would be a discussion, a wide-ranging discussion with Austin Peterson, Stacey Washington, (laughs) and one other person. Who would that other person be for this roundtable on the institutions of liberty? Hmm. I think we've just struck upon some larger conversation that goes into deeper issues, um, a far-ranging kind of conversation that, that touches on some things that maybe you know the 7 minute interview on on you know cable can't you can't do it there you can't do a discussion about this subject that you just broached that you just created there um, Austin you can't do that in 7 minutes you can't even do it in <laughs> two segments <laughs>
1: you know no, I, can't. I can't but I, right? I do think it it would be a good idea for us to to approach that i think in a larger forum
0: Well, I do have a larger forum, and so I actually think we should talk about this offline. A beautiful idea birthed on the podcast that makes it to SiriusXM. Um, Until then, I'm so glad we've had a chance to reconnect today and that you were able to join us on the podcast. We always have so much fun with our newsmakers on uh, Stacey on the Right, the podcast brought to you by Family Vision Media. Austin Peterson, thank you so much for coming on today.
1: Thank you. Have a great weekend. Happy holidays.
0: All right. Happy holidays to you, too. And that is another Stacey on the Right Show podcast. I got to tell you, I thought that went pretty well. And it looks like we may get to chat again with Austin Peterson about this fantastic, fantastic discussion, diving deeply into some issues that aren't being discussed today. Brilliant. God bless.